Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Happy Father's Day. Happy Juneteenth. I woke up this morning and I thought to myself, I don't think I slept well. What the heck am I going to wear? And then I thought to myself, well, this is the problem with Rev being gone. Because he's the one who picks out the themes of what everyone wears every week. What would I wear if Rev was gone? Bow, and who's going to tell me anything? (laughs) This morning, we proudly and comfortably bring to you a continuation of our series called Authority. Church, say authority. 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 Man, man, man. Authority. It's It's been a good one. It's been five weeks. Five weeks that we've been in the series. This morning marks week six. If you have not been with us, that's okay. You're going to be caught up and it's going to be all good. But I have to encourage you to go back and listen to the previous sermons. It's been, oh, you can catch them on Spotify. You can catch them on Apple. You can catch them on YouTube. You can catch them on our website. I promise you, I promise you the Lord will minister to your heart through the way we've been going through this series. At this point, Where we find ourselves today is we find ourselves entering into the final week of Jesus's ministry. We find that Jesus's authority that he exercises has grown. His influence has grown. And now we get to watch as that authority that he leads and lives with is being transferred to other people. As Jesus enters into the final week of his life, he, he starts heading towards, towards Jerusalem. Yeah. And we know what's going to happen there. Jesus, at this point, knows what's likely to happen there. As he heads to Jerusalem, he knows that he's walking into his imminent arrest. He knows that he's walking into an unjust trial. Yeah. He knows that he is facing severe scrutiny, severe punishment yes, sir. for things that he didn't really do. Yeah. He knows that he's facing death, but he also knows that he will get back up. So he's on this walk, albeit difficult walk, if from Jericho to Jerusalem, if for no other reason than he knows what happens to him when he gets to Jerusalem, even if not that, it's a physically difficult walk. It's a steep incline. It's a narrow path. It's one not often traveled because of the dangers that await. And along his way, he's not just focused on getting through this dangerous and less traveled journey. But along the way, he stops, and he meets a man named Zacchaeus. Now, I don't know if you know anything about Zacchaeus. That's right. He was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up on that sycamore tree, and he didn't fall. So... He sees a man named Zacchaeus, and 
One of my favorite forms of Jesus, you've heard me talk about this before, is the, is the Jesus that invites himself over. Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' house, which, which, which threw the crowd for a loop. Why is he eating with a tax collector? Tax collector is the betrayer of our culture. They're not only, they're not, they're worse than the ones that are against the culture. They're worse than the ones that oppress the culture because they're the ones that are supposed to be a part of the culture and they choose to serve dominant culture. And we don't mess with tax collectors. Jesus eats with a tax collector. And upon eating with a tax collector, a tax collector named Zacchaeus is radically transformed. A man who cheated his own people out of their money. After a conversation with Jesus decides, not only am I going to give back what I've stolen, but I'm going to pay back multiple times over what I've taken. I've taken things from people, and now that I've had an interaction with the Lord, not only will I not take anymore, not only will I give back what I've taken, but I will give up all that I've been privileged to have in order to serve his kingdom. And after that interaction is when we get Jesus' story, storytelling Jesus. It's a good one. I love that version of Jesus too. This is in the Gospel of Luke. It's in chapter 19. If you have your physical Bibles with you, I invite you to turn there. If you don't, that's okay. It's hot. It's no need to fight the temptation of the devil to stay off of Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and or uh, Snapchat. We got the word right up here for you. So just relax, sweat, and read the word of God with me. This is Luke chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 11. As they heard these things, Jesus had declared salvation, came to Zacchaeus' house. As they heard these things, he, meaning Jesus, proceeded to tell a parable. Because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a noble man went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come home. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in, every, in a very little you shall have authority. Church, say authority. authority. You shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. And then another came saying, Lord, here's your mina. 
which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you're a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have at least collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. Well, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, oh yeah, back to them, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Oh my goodness. Y'all thought this was going to be a light Father's Day. I don't talk about it often from this platform. Um, but one of, one of, one of, what has grown to be one of my favorite parts of the ministry that God has positioned me to do um, is the stuff that I do involving leadership development. Um, I'm licensed and I'm a part of this organization called Giant Worldwide um, that seeks to... to um, to release leaders into the workplace to be liberating leaders. It's not a Christian organization, and in a lot of and in most environments that I am doing uh, leadership development, they are not Christian environments, which makes them a lot more fun. No, I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm not playing. They're a lot more fun. <laughs> a lot less uptight. Something to that sermon for another day. But what I found um, is. The content is cool. I like the content. Um, teaching people is fine. It's fine. But what I really like, what, what, what really, what really like keeps me wanting to continue in this ministry is that light bulb moment where you're laying out, theoretically, this is the type of stuff you may be facing. Based on your design, who you are, how you've been brought up, here's how you might be hearing some of the things that you're facing. And I love watching that light bulb moment. It's like that John 4 woman at the well moment where she's like, oh my gosh, guys, come see about a man who told me all I ever did. It's this light bulb moment of like, I'm not alone. I've been designed this way. This is not an accident. It's an empowering, enlightening moment where people are like, this makes so much sense. You've had that moment, right? Where all of a sudden everything clicks. I love it because the nature of what we get to do is see people dig deep into their design. To see people realize that the ways that they have been wired, that the things that they've been through, that the things that they choose all actually serve a bigger purpose. And my goal is to just get you to realize that that's in there and then help you 
with, two, with tools and handholds to bring that out to the surface and watch how it serves the people around you. It is the most life-giving moment that I can think of. In this passage, that's what Jesus is trying to get out of his people. He's like, look, I'm trying to to get you to understand that there is something deep inside of you that's been planted inside of you that you've been given. And it's not a mistake. It's from God. And there's going to come a day where that needs to rise to the surface amidst all that you face. This text, this teaching is so brilliant on so many levels. I wish I had more time to to break all of the nuances down for you. Let me give you just a couple. The audience would have been doing that, that, that nudge, nudge, like you know what pastor's really talking about, don't you? When they're hearing this, right? Because as he's talking about a person who went away to receive a kingdom, Culturally, near Jerusalem, they would have been thinking about how not that long ago, the almighty Herod Agrippa divided out the kingdoms that he saw over, one of which in the area of Judea he gave to one of his sons. But here's the thing. They actually have no authority to rule over that land. Who did in that time? The Romans. The Romans had the authority to rule over that land. So in order for Herod to transfer authority to his son, his son had to go before Caesar and say, are you cool if I like run this area? And Caesar had to decide whether or not, yeah, you can run that area. But here's what happened. When Herod's son went to Rome to stand before Caesar and see if it was okay for him to rule over Judea, there was a delegation of 50 men that were like, oh, uh uh-uh, no, ain't happening. And they rode behind him to Rome. And as he's giving his case to Caesar as to why he should be the ruler, 50 people behind him were like, don't do it. Nah, we don't want that. We don't want that. And so Caesar made a ruling that he he could have that area culturally. But he had no real authority because authority belonged to Caesar. So as Jesus is talking about a person who went away to get for himself a kingdom, they're like, oh, I know where this is going, right? All teachers getting political today. We're going to talk about how much we hate. No, it's brilliant because they're instantly hooked. They know what he's talking about. But let me ask you this question that you probably already know the answer to. Is that what Jesus is talking about in this passage? Nah, on this side of it, we know that now, right? He uses a common cultural event to talk about the fact that, nah, I'm actually doing something much bigger than that. That was a really big deal. That made the front page of the paper. Let me tell you about something that's going to blow people's minds so significantly that you ain't even going to take the time to write the paper down. He's talking about a time that we live in now. 
I have three points this morning, and then I'm out your way. And I'm going to try to go quick, but we'll see what happens. I'm real comfortable up here. Okay, point one. Point one, we, as in you, as in me, as in there's not an exception in this room. We have been entrusted with a deposit. So as the man goes away to receive a kingdom and bring the kingdom back, he brings to him his servants. He says, you each got 10 minas. Go. And I love, I love the way that the ESV says it. It says, engage in business. I, I just think that that's awesome. Engage in business. Go, go get after it. Go grind. Go hustle. Go barter. Go trade. Go offer goods and services. Go engage in business. I'm entrusting you with this deposit. And then he comes back to see what it is that they've done with it. Before we can actually get into any type of action steps, we have to first understand that each of us have been entrusted with the deposit, that as the, as the Lord left the earth for what will not be the final time, he left with us a deposit. He left with us expectations. And oh yeah, he left with us a plan. God left in us a deposit. The first way I want us to understand that is by God's design. In Genesis, as God is creating all of existence, he says, let us make human in our image. You bear an imprint of God. God's thumbprint is not only in your DNA, but it's on your life. That means the way that you are wired the way that you think, the talents that you have, the things that you've been through, the family you were born into, all of the little intricacies of your life that may have been affected by sin, but at its purest is designed by God. It is not a mistake that you are good at the things that you are good at. Can I flip that real quick? It is not a mistake that you are not good at some of the things you are not good at. So stop trying to do the things you're not. No, sorry, not today. Listen, it's not a mistake that you were born where and to whom you were born. It is not a mistake that you grew up where you grew up. It's not a mistake that you face the situations that you face. It's all God's imprint. It's all God's design. And rather than thinking of it as something that we have to deal with, the spiritual way to think of it is that this is something we've been entrusted with. The Lord entrusted me with these gifts and talents, 
What will I do about it? The Lord entrusted me with this family dynamic. What will I do about it? The Lord trusted me with this house and in this community. What will I do about it? The Lord trusted me with these relationships. What should I do about it? The Lord trusted me with this job. What should I do about it? The Lord also entrusted you with a deposit called the gospel. Jesus went everywhere, preaching, serving, living. And then he turns around to his people and he's like, now I expect y'all to do the same. He gave you the gospel so that you may be saved. But can I submit, I read somewhere recently that the most selfish thing you can do is be content going to heaven alone. He did not give that gift to you solely so that you shall be saved. Did he do it for you? Yes. Will he continue to do it for you? Yes. Does he probably, and by probably, I'm trying to be nice because I mean definitely expect you to do more with it? Uh Uh-huh. He entrusted you with the gospel so that you may be saved and so that those around you by design may also be saved. Perhaps your job is not something you have to work through right now. Perhaps your job is something you have to minister to right now. You have been given all you need. You have been given the greatest story ever told. He's entrusted you with not only letting that apply and sink in deep in your own life, but seeing to it that it applies and sinks in deep and transforms those around you as well. He entrusted you with a deposit called the Holy Spirit. He entrusted you with his very presence, with his very spirit by which Jesus did all things. He said, it's yours. And there are different ways that the spirit manifests itself in each of us differently. And it's up to us to discover what it is that God is trying to do through his spirit in our lives. There are people who were spiritually gifted to preach. There are people who are spiritually gifted to lead worship. There are people who are spiritually gifted to understand why we have spreadsheets, like what those things are and what we're supposed to do with them. There are people, that's a spiritual design. And there are giftings of the Holy Spirit that come out of you. And when this stuff comes together, you have God's perfect plan. There are manifestations of the Spirit that are meant to be building up and uplifting to one another. Perhaps... You feel like when you pray, sometimes you get words or pictures or things that in your early stages of this gift, you dismissed as like crazy or I got ADHD and I can't focus. That's not that. That's the spirit. And that's meant to edify the body. That's meant to be shared so that your community can be built up. He entrusted you with the Holy Spirit. And I'm not going to hit this point that much harder the rest of the time, so I at least got to take 30 seconds to say this. You've been entrusted with a deposit. I realize that due to 
logistics, many of us are burying that deposit. Jesus said, at the very least, put it in the bank. At the very least, give it to the church. At the very least, give it to people who you see are good stewards of kingdom, time, money, and resources. At the very least, offer it to, if you're not going to do anything with it, offer it to somebody who will do something with it. At the very least, if you're not going to give it away, at least make a deposit into someone or somewhere else so that they can. What are you doing with what the Lord has entrusted you with? By your design, by the gospel that saved your life, by the spirit that you ought to let run it. What are you doing with what has been entrusted to you? The objective, scripture tells us, is to give it away. The objective, scripture tells us, is that that which the Lord has entrusted to you is yours to give to those around you, to your community, to your people, to your family. And at the very least, Jesus, strong on this, says, at the very least, don't bury it. You're not crazy. You're not going to look silly. You're going to look faithful. You're not going to fall on your face because God honors the heart. And as long as that's what you were trying to do, God will honor it. Don't bury it. We'll get there, but rebuke the person next to you that snickered when you told them. We'll get there. We'll get there. I'm getting ahead of myself. Some of us, though, I understand, just need a little boost. Some of us just need a little help. Well, pastor, I, I, like, I hear you, but like, I feel like some of that's like really deep. Some of that I've been trying to figure out, but like, man, you don't understand what I'm up against. Yeah, you're right. But it's a good thing that our church provides space for you to process those things. Let me take a moment to shamelessly plug the summer studies again. Maybe you need, maybe you need to, 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 in order to understand the way that the Lord has designed your life, yeah, yeah, same page. That's why we're married, same page. Maybe, maybe in order for you to get to know how God has designed your life, you need a place to process. Can I tell you that know yourself to lead yourself with me tomorrow? If that's you, come here tomorrow. Because we're going to talk about the ways that God has designed you. We're going to talk about the things that you've been through. We're going to talk about the choices that you've made and how all of those things factor into who you are and how God plans to use you. Some of us actually understand that, but there's some things we got to get over. In July, Candace is going to walk us through how to process grief and trauma. 
Some of us know this stuff well. You already know what I'm about to say for the rest of the sermon. But there's some things going on in your life. There's some things going on in your heart. Or there's some roadblocks that the enemies put up that you just can't seem to get around or work through. This is your opportunity to do that. Maybe you are starting to take seriously the way that God has entrusted you with relationships, specifically your marriage or your children. Deshaun and Jordan are sitting right here, but on Tuesdays, they're going to be leading you through what it's like for your marriage or for your family to be truly entrusted to you to serve and to lead spiritually. Maybe you feel like you know yourself, but in order to clearly communicate the gospel, you're like, yo, I really need to get to know my word. Because there's a lot of people who watch a lot of YouTube videos and they sound way smarter talking about some nonsense from YouTube than I do about scripture that I know is real. So I need to get to know my word. Go see Rachel. I mean, go see Rachel anyway. But specifically on Wednesdays, she goes through a study of themes in scripture that we may not have even noticed. Maybe you're like, honestly, I'm cool with all that, but I need you to talk to me more about the Spirit. Because there's some things that I be seeing, there's some things that I'm experiencing, there's some things that some of y'all be doing, that I'm like, how does that work? I don't think that that's the way. Man, see Rev in July to talk about the Holy Spirit. We have spaces for us to process this. Sorry, I took way too long on that shameless plug. Let me get to point two. Point two. Authority is the Lord's reward to us for our stewardship. To the person that he gave, he gave everyone 10 minutes. He gave everyone the same spirit. He gave everyone, he gave everyone equal opportunity to, to, to go engage in business, Right? And to the person who took his 10 minas and brought back 10 more minas. That is a ridiculous amount. That is unimaginable favor. So with a ridiculous amount of work that was put in, with a a ridiculous amount of return, Jesus offers a ridiculous amount of authority. He says... I see that you have served me well. I see that you've actually taken what I've entrusted you with and you were out here grinding. To which my response to you is 10 cities. 10 cities to rule over. I don't know if you're like me on my bad days where I want to work to position myself to be able to do less, that's not the way the kingdom works. You work, and the harder you work, and the more you give your life to the Lord, the more he entrusts in you. The more you give to the Lord, the more authority you will notice he adds to your life. I'm thinking specifically of the Roman centurion that I told you guys to read that passage a few weeks ago because we didn't have time to get into it. I think it's specifically of the Roman centurion who was an officer in the overworld, in the oppressed. He, he was an officer for the oppressor. 
Jesus had no earthly position over him. But upon witnessing and hearing about Jesus' spiritual authority, the centurion submit him, would submit himself under Jesus. Because a lot of times, a lot of people in positions of worldly power are looking to spiritual people to help them make their decisions. The centurion, upon seeing Jesus' spiritual authority, submits himself under Jesus. I'm thinking about Nicodemus, who had all the religious authority you could possibly want in the world, goes in the secret of the night to humble and submit himself under Jesus because there's just something different about the authority that Jesus had with no worldly position than the authority that I have with all the worldly position. I think about Jesus casting out a demon that his own disciples were like, get out, get out, get out. You ever seen one of these things go wrong? Ask me about it sometime. I got some funny stories for you. But I'm thinking about his disciples screaming at the demons to leave in Jesus' name. And they look at him and they're like, we don't know who you are. And then Jesus shows up and they're like, bye. They're out. Because Jesus had given his whole self and so much spiritual authority was added to him. Let me tell you, when you give what seems to be an unreasonable amount of your life, when you give your whole life, Jesus returns the favor with an unreasonable amount of authority. I think we think that if we give and we give and we give, the Lord will bless us like financially. Or the Lord will maybe knock out some roadblocks ahead of us. I think that's most common. I think we think that if we give our lives to the Lord, that he'll just take care of the path and knock out all the stuff in the way. But it's not like that. It's more like this. The more you give, the more authority the Lord gives you to look at that roadblock and say, move. I watched, I, I, got to, I got to go a few weeks ago to Aliquippa, Pennsylvania, where this family went into an abandoned downtown area, ran a business, and, you, and as, they, as they just worked at this business, providing quality for an affordable price, giving their neighbors jobs giving people who have been tossed out of all the other areas of town a spot to hang out, but also not using their audience as an excuse to skimp on the quality of what they do as they did that faithfully. They told me the story of how they watched Jesus add to, their, to what they were doing month after month, year after year. At one point, they were about the only business on the main strip of the town. When I was there a few weeks ago, I think I saw one building that was truly abandoned. The rest had been businesses that came into town. The mayor of the city calls this dude. Like, yo, what do I do about this? The neighbors who were making major decisions for the community, they ask him. He runs a coffee shop. And they're asking him how to make major moves in the city. Amen. That's spiritual authority. Amen. It's unreasonable authority. There are systems and longstanding enemies in the way of what the Lord is asking you to accomplish. Yeah. 
But when you're faithful to act with what the Lord has given you, the Lord is faithful to act and give you authority to see those things move. I got to hit this. I can't cut this. I got to hit this last point because I think this might be the most important one. Go to point three. Don't worry about the haters. Church, I need, you, I need to believe that you believe that. Say, don't worry about the haters. No, you're not convicted enough. Say, don't worry about the haters. Jesus says, yo, I see you who did nothing with all that I've given you. And I'm going to take what, what little you did have. Look at verse verse 14. What did verse 14 say? It says his citizens hated him. His citizens hated him. They rioted. No. They went to they went to the kingdom and said, "You can't give authority to this man." You can't give authority to Jesus. You can't give authority to this faith. You can't give authority to this religion. We can't have it. We can't have it in our schools. We can't have it in our neighborhood. We can't have it at our dinner tables. We can't have it determining who can do what. We can't have it. No, absolutely not. You know what Jesus did? He got the keys to the kingdom anyway. You know what he did to all who were against him getting the keys to the kingdom? He said, bring them here. Bring them here. Let me see them. Let them come talk to me. It's cool. I just want to talk for a minute, but you ain't coming in here. To those who oppose the kingdom, they will be dealt with. Our job is to serve faithfully with what the Lord has given us. His job is to take care of all who oppose the work. Our job is to do much with what has been entrusted to us. His job is to have final say. And I, I want to quickly point out that notice that the sin is not questioning him getting the keys to the kingdom. It's not wondering. It's not doubting. It's not even being angry. The sin... Is being opposed. You can question. You can be angry. You can doubt. But you cannot oppose. The Lord will have justice over all who oppose his will. Church, we as a body, I don't know if you realize this. We were talking about it this week on our staff retreat. We have been entrusted with a lot in this city. Our dreams, walking out in faithfulness, have carried over into unreasonable favor and authority in in the city. We have been entrusted with a lot. The question is, how will we be good stewards of what's been entrusted to us? But the Lord's promise is that as we are good stewards, that authority will grow. And so I need to tell you this morning, don't worry about the haters. Don't worry about the naysayers. 
Don't worry about the people who got something to say about the way that you move and this or certain and the people you talk to and all that kind of stuff. Don't worry about that. Worry about being faithful to what the Lord has given you. It is clear that God has entrusted you. Maybe nobody else in your life has entrusted you. The Lord has given you keys to his house. The only question you have to answer is what you will do with it. How are you using what God has given? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. Lord, we thank you for the truth that we receive from your word. God, I pray that your spirit would take over and your spirit would begin to bring to the front of our minds the ways that you have entrusted us, the things that you've entrusted us with. God, we know that in your kingdom, you see the gates open for a flood of people not ones coming in by themselves. And Lord, we want to fulfill that vision. And so God, we would ask that you forgive us for the ways that we buried our talents, for the ways that we've buried the deposit, for the ways that we've tried to ignore the design, the spirit, the gospel, for all the opportunities missed. Father, forgive us. And Lord, in repentance, we move forward into belief that you will give the authority necessary to tell all barriers, hurdles, roadblocks to move. Father, we give this to you in this time, and we ask that we leave with the inspiration of your spirit. Pray this in Jesus' name, all who believe say. Bless up.